caught offside with Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan, Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. Happy New Year, brother! Happy New Year, Andrew. Happy mucusy New Year as I begin the new year with some kind of a head cold, which makes me sound very nasally, um, but I think adds a little bit more gravitas to my voice. Uh, no, no, it doesn't. Um, you sound exactly the same, just maybe, like you said, a little more nasally. Everyone is sick, though, so you're just like you're part of the majority right now. I feel like everyone I know is dealing with something. I personally have never felt better. I never felt more alive. Um, <laughs> so uh, I don't I can't really relate to any of you. No, um, it's the walking dead here in Ireland. And I'm not even joking. There's so many people who are just uh, they've got this head cold. The flu is it's. Yeah. The flu has taken over. It's There's been a 20% rise in it or something like that since last year. It's ridiculous. Oh, boy. Well, I'll tell you what's not ridiculous. This podcast, I'm so excited about this podcast. The uh, the festive period, as it is called by everyone, there really is no other name for it. I kind of wish there was. I don't know. I, I don't really use the word festive very often. I feel kind of uncomfortable using it so, so willy-nilly when we talk about soccer. But the festive <laughs> period is finished. Um, so we're going to give our winners and losers from... What would you consider this to be? The last two weeks, I guess? Yeah. No, I think you would begin with the games just the last game before Christmas, then St. Stephen's Day, our Boxing Day fixtures, and then the New Year's fixtures. That kind of, that kind of last two week period. Um, that's, that's, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Before I do any of that though, I do want to get in the habit of doing one thing. It's the start of a new year and, and I feel like, I, if you're going to have good habits beginning, they, they have to start now. Uh, so I, I want to make a habit of reminding people um, to please subscribe to our podcast specifically. I know a lot of you download Caught Offside in the ESPN FC channel on wherever it is you get your podcast. But just know that Caught Offside, we do have our own uh, podcast feed. So we prefer you ga- uh, grab the podcast from that. Some people ask me... Um, on Twitter sometimes, JJ, if that helps our downloads or anything like that. I don't think that it actually does. But what it is, is me preparing for the day that the people at ESPN FC say, okay, no more, you go on your own. Uh, and when yeah, that day comes, once they, they realize, like, once they realize they've been soundly and roundly beaten quite <laughs> regularly by us, uh, they'll kick us out. Right. Uh, we will then enter our own podcasting super league. No, but seriously. Um, but what, just, yeah, I, I just feel like get, that day is going to come. We're we're in a doomsday scenario here, people. We get kicked off the SBNFC feed. Where are you going to find us? Download us at Caught Offside on iTunes. Follow us. Even follow us if you've got Spotify, but you don't listen on Spotify. Follow us on Spotify too, just in case. Yeah. So that that's really. I just want people to be getting us from from the best place possible, which I believe is from our own personal podcast feed. Every once in a while, we do have some kind of like original creative content that we put on there that we won't put on other podcast feeds. But mainly, it's just preparing for the day when when that will be the only place that you can get this podcast. And of course, uh, I should also tell people to rate, review the podcast. Uh, because that helps our visibility. It helps other people find us that maybe aren't aware of us right now. So that's good because the more people listening, uh, the better it is for the world. That's how I feel about this. So here's the deal, uh, Devaney. I have here, um, in the first part of the podcast, my three winners from the festive period. And then uh, we'll take a very short break and then we'll do the second part, which will be our losers. 
I don't know about you. I have confined mine to the Premier League only. I hope that's okay. Uh, yeah, I've, I've just done the Premier League only, although I do realize in the new year there's so much in the championship I want to talk about, <laughs> and there's so much going on in uh, European football that we need to talk about too. But for, for now, let's keep it compact. Yeah, I didn't think you were going to start that with the championship. I thought you were going to say like La Liga or maybe the Bundesliga, but no, you go right, right to your bread and butter, uh, which but, is by the England's way, second division. Speaking of bread and butter, uh, we need to talk quickly, and I mean quickly because I know you want to get on with this. Uh, before we go to the quite excellent winners and losers, we have possibly, Andrew, a rival for the greatest drop we ever had. Now, the greatest drop we've ever had or the most popular drop we've ever had is, of course, what? Diego Maradona, clearly. Yes. Well, um, uh, a listener to our podcast, an Antipodean listener, that means Australia and New Zealand, Andrew. Oh. Eric Mombertz may be our new Diego Maradona. He's the current manager of Melbourne City, and they won 3-2 against their, um, well, the down under says their sort of local rivals, Western United, on Friday night. And he gave a beginning to an interview, seven seconds of incomprehensible mumbling. Uh, here it is. I mean, I'm not what? sure if it's... A, I mean, it's not as we don't know what the question was, but I'm pretty sure there isn't a question in the English language that requires that kind of an answer. But like the question is important because like part of what makes the Maradona drop so iconic is that he was asked such a seemingly simple question like that. No answer should ever come across that way to such an easy question if this manager was asked you know to describe the theory of relativity and that was his response i would say okay well that's a tough question well how likely is it it's going to be a sports question what you think of that game uh eric uh you know uh, you dominated the first half eric slipped away in the second are you happy with the performance i mean these do not require such rambling incomprehensible nonsense fair point so that will now yeah. have to go into our into our library Oh, it's in there, definitely. Yeah. And actually, I'm going to start using it, using it whenever there's a question I don't like asked of me. Like, if I'm out with my girlfriend, she goes, "Are you, are you staring at the waitress?" I'm going to go full Eric. If there's a you know a time where somebody asks me, "Did you finish all that pie on your own?" I'm going to go full Eric. Nice. Uh, that won't come across as suspicious in any way at all. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you all. <laughs> Uh, okay, here we go. Festive period. Three winners, three losers. I'm going to go first, if uh, if you will allow it. I will, of course. The floor is yours, Senator. So I went, I went with kind of an odd one to start out here, uh, because on the surface, this is not necessarily one that you would think. I went with DeAndre Yedlin, JJ, and yes, my American sensibilities are exploding from my body. Uh, as I say this, but don't talk about your body. Okay? Here, here's the deal. My body has actually expanded. The, one thing that the, the festive period can guarantee is a serious weight gain in the Gunling House. Uh, yeah, but I bet, I bet with your body, Andrew, it's only a specific part. Like your shoulders oh, yeah. got bigger, or one butt cheek has got massive. No, from from <laughs> like chest up, I'm a normal looking human being, but my thighs are massive. Uh, my gut, like, and I don't even really drink that much anymore, but my gut just, like, there's no ceiling to its growth. Uh, I don't know. I, I need to make some changes. But anyway, no, DeAndre Yedlin, JJ, here's the deal. It's weird because 
the game that I'm referring to, I'm not really looking at the period as a whole, but something that happened during the festive period. Newcastle lost 3-0 to Leicester. Uh, Yetlin only came on as a sub in that game in the 45th minute. These are not really the usual ingredients that someone, uh, you would think would like take home an honor like this of being my number one festive period winner. Here's why I include him. In the first half of this game, did you see this? In the first half of this game, unbelievably, Newcastle lost John Joe Shelby, Javier Manquillo, and Jetro Willems all to injury. So they were out of subs basically right like before the second half had even kicked off. Then already out of available substitutes. So Yedlin came on at the half. They're out of subs. And then Fabian Schar limps off with a hamstring injury in the 50th. So now that's 40 minutes that Newcastle are going to be playing down a man against arguably the second best team in England. Uh, and this is all without them even having had a man sent off. Then, then, minutes after the Schar injury, Yedlin seriously injures his hand. Steve Bruce referred to his hand as being, quote, a mess and said that it was a suspected break. Now, we don't know if it is, in fact, a break, but the fact that they thought that after the game tells you how serious it was. Yetlin actually left the stadium in a sling when the game was over. But knowing the direness of the situation that Newcastle uh, were in, Yedlin played on and finished the game. It has been a rough year for him. He's dealt with a bunch of injuries. He had the groin injury. He had the hip injury. So he has not been able to really get going at all this season. I'm sure there are fans that are growing impatient with him, that are growing frustrated with him. Uh, this is how, moments like this, is how you start to gain respect back. I don't know what it is to break your hand. I've never done it. I certainly don't know what it is to break your hand and then play a physical sport with that injury. I imagine it is not enjoyable, so props to him. He put the team above his own physical well-being. Uh, and now I'm actually seeing that Yedlin may even try to fight through the injury again because they're without those, those players in the first half that all left with hamstring injuries. They're without all three of those guys, so the situation is still dire for them. Uh, he may try to fight through the injury again. Steve Bruce said that they think he might actually be available for their FA Cup match this weekend. Um I don't know, man. Just imagine breaking a bone in your body and not missing a single second of playing time. I don't care that the game is in play with your hands. It's still tough. Uh, he doesn't need to prove anything to me. He doesn't really need to prove anything to anybody. But if I ever hear anyone questioning his toughness, I'm going to refer them back to this moment. Props to DeAndre Yedlin. He's not so much a winner, more as a Medal of Valor recipient. <laughs> yeah, good for him. There's that American toughness that we pride ourselves on. Yeah, I've uh, I've gone for Watford for my first winner, Andrew. Um, Ten points from twelve for Sergeant Pearson's Hornet Battalion, <laughs> which I will now call them from now on. I've, I just I call him Sergeant Pearson, uh, Nigel Pearson, because he he has or did have that kind of high top hair that you would have seen in a 1960s or 1970s U.S. military film. Is he, is he in fact, a military man? Does he come from any kind of military background? I, I actually don't know. I need to look that up. Well, you talk. Uh, I'm going to look that up because for some reason I thought that he did. But maybe it really maybe. just is his appearance and he just, like, tricked me. Yeah, he, he does look like the tough... Um, battalion commander with the heart of gold but whatever Watford are now just two points from safety um, the revival under Pearson really showed signs of life in that 2-0 defeat at Liverpool Andrew where you'll remember the Hornets spurned some of I mean if any team was going to take points off Liverpool this season mm -hmm. with the chances that they 
that they missed in comic fashion. I think Decore included. Um, it was, it should have been Watford, but they've been on a run kind of after that that's lifted them off rock bottom because they were rock bottom when they played Liverpool. And now they're within two points of safety. They've knocked off the likes of Manchester United and more recently and more impressively, Wolves. Uh, that is some serious form. Dini, Troy Dini, who you absolutely love, uh, he is beginning to kick into gear a little bit for them. And certainly Decor in the middle of the park has been very good, but De La Feo as well, instrumental, the kind of creative player that they're going to need if they're going to pull this off and pull themselves clear of the drop zone. Look, it's it's hard for me because I'm not sure what Nigel Pearson is. He had that season, uh, well, he had more than one season. He brought Leicester up. He had that season in the Premier League where he kept them up and then was sacked and they went on to, essentially, the, the bones of his team went on to win the Premier League. Um he didn't have a great time then at Derby. Things did, well, I suppose Derby are a bit of a basket case club. Maybe that's not necessarily an indication of his man- managerial skills. Yeah. I don't know where this is going or how long term this uptick is going to be for Watford. We know what they're like in terms of sacking managers for even, you know, the, the shortest dip in form. So I, I don't know, but all, all I will say is you want to be an ostrich to ignore that kind of form from Watford. Unbelievable. The fact that you do not understand where I'm coming from. If you don't know the answer to that question, then I think you're, you, you, you are an ostrich. Well, your head must be in the sand. Is your head in the sand? Can you, are you flexible enough to get your head in the sand? My suspicion would be no. I can, you can't. Any more questions? Should we wrap it there? You can't. Listen, you've 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 been here often enough for you to ask that question. I think you're either being very very silly, or you're being absolutely stupid. One of the two. So yeah, Andrew, that is that is Watford under ostrich, <laughs> such ostrich ostrich doubter, um, Sergeant Pearson. Yeah. By the way, so I, I have now looked it up. Um, in an interview with the Daily Telegraph in 2014, Pearson said that he would have joined the Royal Air Force had he not become a footballer. I don't know if that counts oh, really? or anything. I mean, I like to tell people that I would have been an astronaut had I not become a podcaster. Uh, so whether or not you want to count that as me being an astronaut, that's that's up to you, really. Well, we, we know the story. Well, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And he certainly... Uh, you know, gives the the sense of a kind of a man who would respect the military. We also heard a great story from Craig Burley on the podcast a few seasons back, where when he was playing at Sheffield United, um, Nigel Pearson, uh, Burley was on the field as well, and for some reason he got into an argument with Dimitri Karin, the Chelsea goalkeeper, and chased him down. That's right into the locker rooms in Stamford Bridge, where Dimitri Karin locked himself into the locker room and they were convinced that Pearson was going to kick the door in so. <laughs> which I could see him doing kick it in headbutt Ram- it in like really yeah Rambo right uh, let's see my number two winner for uh, this time of year uh, not creative in any way shape or form this is really the obvious one of the season and that is Liverpool and I'm going to go beyond just the last couple weeks uh, because really like they're month of madness started right out of the gate because between December 4th and January 2nd they played 10 games uh, which is unbelievable Um, the only one that they lost was the sham of a game in the Carabao Cup against Aston Villa so I don't even really count that Um, no so 
for the other nine, here's what you're looking at. Nine wins, an aggregate score of 22 to three, and a club world cup trophy to boot. Uh, it has now been a full calendar year since they lost. It's gone now 37 games. So not exactly a full season, uh, but a full year has passed. 37 games. Let's do a quick comparison. I know this makes you so uncomfortable, uh, but quite frankly, I don't care. Uh, let's do a very quick comparison between this Liverpool team and Arsenal's Invincibles of 0304, which we can't do that, but we will. Uh, so we can't, we can't Andy, watch me. Because- here I go. Oh my God. So this Liverpool run is 37 unbeaten. Arsenal's wound up in the end being 49. Uh, yes. in those stretches, Liverpool are averaging, uh, averaging more points per game, more goals per game, and fewer goals conceded per game. Right. Uh, so like I said, up to this point, uh, Liverpool's stretch of unbeaten play has been, I, I think you would have to say, of a higher level than that Arsenal team was now let's see if liverpool can do it as long as that arsenal team did but but thus far it's it's actually been statistically more impressive fine that's that's absolutely great arsenal did it within the season Mm -hmm. they didn't like i mean liverpool's run involves three or two months off in the summer do you you know what i mean so so are you somebody who who would suggest that like let's say there was a baseball player who had like a 30 game hitting streak to end a season and then he started the next season with another 30 game hitting streak you would say that he did not actually break Joe DiMaggio's record cuz he didn't do it in one season um i do like yeah baseball's a little bit i feel like baseball's a little bit different um hmm. and we're talking about team rather than individual i see your point but i would probably say I don't know actually what I'd say to that. Okay. But my, my point is, um, yeah, this, this team, this Liverpool team might actually end up being, you know, on a par, even though last night Trent Alexander Arnold was asked by the BT sports guys, is he thinking about the invincible season? Which is kind of ridiculous at this point, but, um, no, it isn't. They're, they're going to say that they're not thinking about it, but like they're all human beings. I, I genuinely believe they are thinking about winning the Premier League. Well, and, I've done that and, already. Yeah, well, okay, we'll see. But I'm not sure about, you know, that they're thinking about, oh, I mean, we're going to be on par with the Arsenal Invincibles. I'm sure as maybe in a few months' time is that, if that comes clearly over the horizon, they'll start thinking about that. But my point being is that, um, yeah, within this season itself, Liverpool could surpass that of Invincibles team. It just feels weird to me to talk almost disrespectful to to talk about a Liverpool team across a year in which you've had, you know, it's, it's across two seasons, the end of one and the start of the other, and you've had the summer break in the middle, and you're comparing it with the Invincibles. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't work for me. But I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I, mean, I, I do see your point, and it is absolutely incredible. Liverpool Absolutely did, incredible. Within that stretch, Liverpool did also do something that the Invincibles did not, and they won a Champions League trophy. Uh, Correct. So, you know, and and I I would also say as well that it's the just when you think they're going to let up, just when you think they're going to take their foot off the pedal, it doesn't happen. It's it's the relentlessness of this team that just is absolutely stunning to me. Yeah, and uh, and it's been managed incredibly because there's times when I'm looking at them, you know, going into that game at the King Power Stadium over Christmas, I'm thinking, are they going to be tired? They surely they'll be tired. And they put in probably their most comprehensive performance of the last few months. And they destroy 
the team that sat in second place. Yep. They're really incredible. I really think that, and you know how I feel about the league. Like, uh, I think I even saw somebody tweet to us that, uh, 538 now has it at 97% yeah. of them winning it. Um, like, I felt that way about them for a while. Um, but I really think the only thing that can slow them down, I don't think anything can, can stop them from winning the league at this point, but the only thing that could slow them down and take them off of this pace, uh, is really themselves. Like, they are starting to deal with a little bit of an injury situation. Um, not a crisis by any means, but like they, they do have a few players. Joel, who is it? Joel Matip. Uh, has been in and out. Fabinho, Nabi K, uh, Nabi K, Shakiri. Right. So, like, it, it's Ma- not a crisis, Ma- but but there there are geez, players. Andrew, hey Andrew, Andrew, hang on a second now. If we had, if 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 we applied that same logic to Manchester City, which we have done, that we call that a crisis at Man City. I mean, maybe neither of them are a crisis, consider considering they're top clubs in England and should have the resources to absorb these injuries. But that's a lot of injuries. Yeah. It, no, it is, but it's not. Like, I know Fabinho's having a, an excellent season and Matip's important, but come on, JJ. Like, there's a difference between Andrew, those guys and Mane and Van Dyke and Salah Andrew, and Robertson and Alexander no, Arnold. No, no, like, there's a no, difference. No, no, no. You, you're, you can't do that. There no, is, just, of course, uh, there's a difference. There's a difference in which they play. The players like Fabinho are like the platform from which the, the, the team plays and supplies the ball forward to these guys. Really? Cause they look um, fine without him. That's the point. They do look fine. It's incredible that Henderson has come in and just kind of got on with it. And, and the team hasn't missed a beat. But think of the way we were talking when Fabinho was injured. You got to give them credit. I just did. Uh, so who's your number two winner? <laughs> oh my God. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm not okay. I'm, I'm really quite ill. Um, I'm not, that's not true. But whenever I get a cold, I'm rarely, rarely sick, as you know. But when I get a cold, oh my God. Right in my ear. Just... I, I have my headphones up so loud and then you're like hacking up a lung. At least move the mic away from your face if you're going to do that. I can only imagine your face if it was close to you. You'd be so afraid of getting any sputum on you. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> How weird um, of me. My number two winner is Danny Ings. Um, it's, it's, it's really quite simple with Ings, Andrew. Um, he scored 14 times in the last 16 games. We spoke at length at the start of the season about our concerns over Southampton. Who's going to score the goals to propel them up the table? Well, the fact is it's been Danny Ings and, you know, for back to back ACL injuries to be one of the leading scorers in the Premier League right now. I mean, he, he's right up there with, with Jamie Vardy and guys like that. That's incredible to me. And. Not only that, the confidence with which he is playing. I don't want to bring back bad memories, but the goal against Tottenham was so good. Now, yeah. pri- prior to that, Nathan Redmond had ran 1v1 against Alderweireld, and I tweeted out, this can't happen. If anything has been learned from the Norwich experience, you cannot have players running at Alderweireld. He's at this stage in his career, Andrew, where he is in the spin cycle anytime anybody runs at him. But the way Redmond completely rinses him, lifts the ball over the top, and actually, the hard part is that that ball is bouncing and he hits it with the side of his foot into the ground and into the back of the net past Gazaniga. It's just the goal of a player in a run of form and a run of confidence. And it's it makes you wonder what might have been all those lost seasons from 2015 when he joined Liverpool from Burnley and just the dreadful time he had with, with, with those double ACLs. Um, 
he's become the goal scorer that Ralph Hasenhutl has desperately needed. And, you know, I know there's crucial players. Hoiberg's form has been really good. Um, Bednarik, Stevens at centre back, absolutely crucial. But, you know, Ward Prowse's deliveries. Well, yeah. What are we constantly talking about when it comes to Southampton? Their inability putting, to finish. It's for putting the ball in the net. Now, right. he's had some help in terms of, uh, you know, Michael Obafemi scoring that crucial goal, um, the, the first goal against Chelsea. But Michael Obafemi is what, 18 or 19? Shane Long, he'll work hard. He's an excellent player, but he's not an out and out goal scorer. The, the burden that Ings has taken on and taken on with relish is just incredible, and he's had such a good uh, festive season. Yeah, we can kind of combine this with the third one that I have, which was Southampton as a whole. Uh, because of where they were when this all started, um, near the bottom, or certainly relegation, um, four games, three wins, a draw, two of those wins, Chelsea and Spurs. Um, Danny Ings was also kind of a guy that I was going to key in on. And it's, it's interesting what you mentioned about that period when he – went to Liverpool and it just didn't work out seeing him play like this now it almost changes history in your mind like people will look at that Liverpool signing and think that it was a mistake you know like but now because he's doing this again like I almost look at it as being like Liverpool were right but or or they wound up being wrong but for the right reasons like Danny Ings really appears to now be as good as they thought he was but unfortunately, injuries just never allowed them to see it. Like they were right to go after him specifically. Um, like at, whereas before, had he not been doing this for Southampton, I would have said like, "Oh, Liverpool just got caught up in the moment and they made this signing, um, and it was just like a guy who happened to be in a patch of good form." No, they they were right to go after him, and I think he's he's now kind of validating that. And I wonder, he's 27 years old. I, I wonder if there might still be another move to like a bigger club left in him or if this is maybe the right place for him to just kind of stay for a while i think if he finds or continues the run of form that he's found at southampton andrew i don't think he'll go anywhere and i do believe that's his hometown team if i'm not mistaken well he so, he, he started there on their youth team right uh, well so yeah i mean maybe he will want to stay there yeah maybe um and certainly if they stay up, which they're now up to 12th, I believe, in the table. So uh, it looks like they're headed towards that. And you mentioned it. It was such a good point that you made on the, the last podcast we did, where like when you think about um, the club's decision to stick with Hassan Hoodle following what happened after the Leicester City match, to still see it through and not, got ca- not get overly concerned and caught up with one horrifying result, as bad as it was, like, I think that's that's the sign of a... Of, what to me appears to be a good, stable club. Like stability, we always talk about how, how important it is and to not just overreact to a patch of bad form or to one truly terrible game like that. Uh, and I think Southampton right now are, are kind of being rewarded for seeing it through during that kind of dark period. I remember someone tweeting me at the time directly in the middle of that shellacking that they took from Leicester and they said, well, surely this is Hassel Hootl's Last game, he can't go. This is just too embarrassing. And I was like, the rumors from people who, you know, in and around the club, from journalists are that the owners really like him and they really like the long-term vision and the plan he has. And that's been rewarded so far. And and I, I think as well, if if you look at any institution or any organization that really functions well, is there, you know, term limits? Are there times when you have to move people on? Yeah, but if you're committed to a project and to a long-term project, 
um, you've got to give the person time to put in, in place everything that they want, especially someone in the role of a head coach or a manager. Now, are there managers that book that tre- trend? Yeah, the Crystal Palace put in a, you know, a young Frank de Boer, mm-hmm. uh, with a policy of, of moving this club forward. And you could argue that has the club been moved forward even more by 70 something year old Roy Hodgson? Yeah, I, I, I understand that. But, um, but uh, look, in, in, in this day and age of football, it's, it's good to see that patience is rewarded and, Maybe maybe this will continue for Southampton. Yeah. Uh, what's your third and final winner? My third and final winner, Andrew, is is very proper football man, and I think he is a proper football man in the best possible way. And this is Chris Wilder talking about Liverpool. Last night he had an interview with uh, BT Sports, and we can listen to it now. I've got to say I thought they were outstanding, but they didn't really have to get out of second or third gear. But they did all the things that I talk. People talk about academy coaches and all this nonsense about you know technical and tactical stuff when we played them at our place we laid a glove on them and made it difficult for them so they won every first ball every second ball dropped on every second ball ran forward and ran back and uh, they did that miles better than us so when when academy coaches and all this nonsense that comes out about coaching have a little peek at Liverpool tonight um, and like I said played in second and third gear but still had the humility and their desire to do that as well as world champions, as European champions, uh, and uh, as and obviously well on the way to being Premier League champions. You know, it's easy to be magnanimous, I suppose, in defeat when you're being defeated by clearly one of the best teams, well, the best team in England and possibly the best team in the world right now. But Chris Wilder's points are so valid. We've got tied up in tactics, which are absolutely important. They, they, you know, nobody is disputing their import in the modern game and the, the, the ability to be flexible and all those things and to have a style of play. But there are basics, fundamentals, without which no team can be competitive or push themselves forward in this league. That's winning second balls, winning your tackles, desire, getting up and down the field, tracking back at pace. You know, all the fundamentals that make good teams are there and that Wilder talks about them because it's so easy to talk about Alexander Arnold's passing. It's just, it's just so un- incredible to watch. It's so technically good and his interplay and the way that Liverpool are redefining the fullback position, their front three have become the template for teams now. You know, we've moved away from the one striker up front here and now we're moving into this fluid three. And all that thing, all those things are just so valuable. And I get it. And, and they're the stuff that we're going to remember the side for. But the hard yards, that's what matters. And, and Chris Wilder talking about it last night and praising Liverpool for that, I thought was, was really good. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, those are our winners. I'll tell you what, we're going to take a, uh, we'll take a break here. We'll come back and for every winner, there is in fact, a loser. I'm curious for yours. I'm, I'm sad with one of mine. It'll be a surprise to no one. Uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Oh, back now on caught offside. JJ, when do you, uh, when do you come back to the United States? I fly in on Sunday night. Okay. So, uh, yes. That is when I shall return. You have missed me. I can hear it in your voice. You no, know, I have actually. I wanted to. I wanted to address that. I got a tweet from uh, oh boy. T. Paul O. Dockerty, 
or something. Dockerty, good God. Well, the way it's spelled is butchering. The way that it's spelled yeah, is sp- spelled the, the traditional Irish way. D o c h a r t a i g h. I g h. Yeah, O'Doherty. Okay, oh O'Doherty. T. Paul O'Doherty. Uh, he said, listening to Atsio Soccerpod in the car with my son. Quote. Didn't these guys used to be friends? Now every time you have it on, the American dude is berating the European one. At J.J. Devaney and at A. Gunling, my son is worried about you guys. Um, I, I guess I should address that. Uh, first of all, if that is in fact the way people view the, the, the place that our relationship has gone to, I'm sorry. Um, I hope that I have not been too hard on you. I feel that the... Oftentimes, whatever comes out for me as berating has been drawn out of me by you. Um, <laughs> but maybe that's, maybe that's just my own insecurities bubbling over. But I, I don't mean for, I don't want to be this jerk, this like podcast bully. So I'm going to, I'm going to now try to turn over another leaf and I'm going to try to be nicer, not just to you, but really to everyone. Well, um, you have taken the antagonist role in this. Um, if you ever watch Chris Como on CNN, it's, uh, you know, he'll start out very kind, just like you. Um, the guest will say, good to be with you, Chris, and everything seems fine. Then they, Chris will attempt to absolutely eviscerate his guest. And then right at the end, he'll go, look, I respect you for coming on. I like to give your viewpoint after just tearing him a new one. And often I feel like conversations about VAR, you become, you go, uh, Chris Cuomo on me. Uh, so you're not taking any, you're not going to take any culpability here. No, I will. I'm very strident in my views. And, uh, you know, I, I look, I, my VAR opinion is philosophical and it's, it's yeah. kind of VAR. It annoys you, and it and and also just the way I deliver a lot of the things I say is so, genuinely. I, I genuinely think subconsciously I've tailored it to just annoy you. Yeah, and and I I come off a bit pompous, and uh, and that gets to you. So yeah, I take responsibility in the fact you can't deal with my intellect. Self improvement. <laughs> oh, okay, see right there, everyone, right there. You all heard it. Self improvement is important. We can all improve ourselves. JJ, myself, all of you out there listening, we can all do better. So let's do better. We're in the 20s now. All right. It's the roaring 20s. Let's really make the most of this time. Uh, and with that, our losers that we will now berate and mock. Um, I'm going to go first if you, again, don't mind. Okay. Um, JJ, I went with Tottenham. I went with Ooh, Tottenham. If you're looking for a trophy, I will hand them the trophy for the worst festive period. Let's look at it now, shall we? Uh, in the weeks leading up, to this time, they had qualified for the knockout stage of the Champions League. Uh, they fought their way back in a top four contention. It seemed like things were on the up. Uh, and then, lo and behold, they get Chelsea to start the festive period at home with a chance to go level in the race for top four, and they lose. Then they briefly right the ship with that pretty ugly 2-1 win over Brighton. But whatever, a win is a win. Uh, but then more disappointment, 2-2 draw. Uh, against one of the least informed sides in the league at the time, Norwich, that really Tottenham were fortunate to get a point in, um, Correct. going back to the VAR debate. Uh, and then they cap it off with that loss to Southampton that we were kind of referencing moments ago. Now, all that is bad, but if you are someone out there saying, well, it could be worse, they're still in the race for top four because of other teams around them struggling, um, yes, that is true. So you then would probably reject the idea that their festive period was worst. 
Um, you would just think that this is Andrew being Spursy Andy once more, that I'm too close to the situation. But you be wrong. Here's why. I continue. During this time, they lost Sun to that red card. They lost Tangi and Dombele to yet another injury, which Jose Mourinho is now really be going to show his frustration on. He's talking at his most recent press conference, and he's saying that and Dombele, he's always injured. It's starting to take on that kind of antagonistic tone from Mourinho. And I don't think Ndombele's faking any of this. When he plays, he looks brilliant. Like He's not going to just like fake an injury. I think he's, for whatever reason, he's just hurt. I don't know how you explain it. These are muscle injuries, and they don't heal quickly. And so that sucks. Uh, but then more importantly than that, JJ was just announced. I don't know if you've been on the web at all. Uh, Harry mm. Kane, that injury that he suffered while scoring a oh, goal, yeah. while scoring a goal that was then ruled off for offside correctly, might I add. Uh, he then pulled up immediately after doing that. That little hamstring injury, well, it turns out to not be so little. That is a torn hamstring and he is done for the foreseeable future. Harry Kane. Uh, so that, and oh yeah, shame and much, much disgust was brought to the club through a racist fan incident, um, uh, involving a Tottenham supporter and Antonio Rudiger. Happy holidays, Tottenham. It has Not really been mention, a joy. <laughs> Not to mention, Andrew, that, um, you know, Mourinho's demeanor has suddenly gone from the hugging of ball boys to lowering his head in over the uh, technical coach or the assistant coach. I think, it was the the goal, I think it was the goalkeeper coach. Yeah, at Southampton uh, to berate him for some reason. He got a yellow card. I think he should I think he should have been sent to the stand. Oh, relax. Into the, other, into the other technical area and, and lowering his head in such an aggressive manner. Then he called him an idiot. <laughs> uh, we're, get, we're, we're getting the usual, uh, how would I say menu of Mourinho meltdown and it's only X amount of games into the season. Uh, it's not good, Andrew. It's, uh, it's two league wins to start his campaign as Tottenham manager. And then they've won one of their last four and they've got Liverpool and Man City in their next four games. Yeah, it's not good. And, uh, yeah, the injuries, just the general, I mean, the Southampton game was, you wanted to tear your eyes out. Oh, yeah, no, it, it's, it's like we have learned and we talked about this last week that like they're, you know, they're kind of the same as what they were pre Mourinho. He has not come in and really changed them yet. They had boring games before where they looked lifeless in attack and they weren't creating any legitimate chances. And it but feels Andrew, like Andrew, that's, I, I that's kind of more of the same. Sorry to cut across you, but it's not really though because Mourinho has come in and you can say, Oh, it's just the same as it was under Poch, but. There, seem, there definitely seems to be more a more direct kind of game that oftentimes is kind of incongruous with the with the way they used to play under Pochettino. But more than that, Andrew, they're shipping goals. So if Mourinho doesn't do the things that you get Mourinho in to do, you know, tighten up the defense, make things better, don't stop leaking goals, be, become hard to beat, and also grind out wins. If he's not doing that, like, what is he doing? What is the point here? Well, I think that that's the larger question. And honestly, does well, ho- hold on. I just want to I want to answer that first because it's that's a fair thing for you to say that that you're right in saying that. But what I would say in response to that is it's kind of not fair to take this period of time that he's been their manager and say, well, if he's not doing the things that Mourinho does, what's the point of having him? Like, 
they've pretty much, I heard this point made on the Fighting Cock that I was listening to, uh, the Tottenham podcast, and it's a good point in that, like, if you think about from the time Mourinho arrived to now, it was from, like, with, between Champions League, matches and now this time of year they've pretty much been playing on average of at least really two matches per week so like the practice time that they've had is really more recovery time than it is instilling new ways of playing so like i I wouldn't have thought that Mourinho could come in in this short of of a time frame where they've played this many games and be able to just install a totally new way of playing so like you're right to say if they're not doing the Mourinho things and the Mourinho way of playing what's the point that that's true but i just don't think that this window is a fair window to make that judgment i think you got to at least give them till at least till the rest of this season to be able to say something like that okay all right, fair enough. I, I'm just going to go on record here on the 3rd of January 2020. I don't see this getting markedly better. Well, look, there's, it's not just the way they play. It's personnel, too. They've gotten old fast. Guys are going to leave. It looks, you know, Ericsson, they're talking about Inter Milan now for Tongan. I saw today rumors of Napoli being in, uh, interested in him. Tottenham have a major problem at fullback, both fullback positions. Uh, right. Their midfield is, like I said, has gotten, I don't want to say old because it's, it's Harry Winks, it's Musa Sissoko. These aren't old players, but something just doesn't seem right there. Like, I, I want to see a, a long stretch of games where Ndombele's playing, but he's hurt. Like, they're, they're a mess there. You know, Sun had just missed three games, so like Mourinho has these pieces that he probably wants to be using that he just can't. Uh, now Kane's gonna be out for God knows how long, so it's, it's a mess. It's still a mess. Uh, but because it's a mess around them, they may be able to kind of linger in this top four race, but I'll say now on January 3rd that when it's all said and done, look, if they finish top four, that's great because this to me does not look like a top four side. At least not right now. Shall I do my loser? Yes, please. Aston Villa. Dean Smith needs a big January on and off the field, Andrew. And I think all Wes Edens will have to go into his pockets yet again if Villa are to stay up. Um, Wesley was ruled out for the season after, I don't know if you saw this, a, a frankly shocking tackle by Ben Mee of Burnley at Turf Moor. I mean, it's two-footed. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like a scissor. And he's torn his ACL. It's it's. I don't think he even got a yellow card. I can't remember, but it was ridiculous. Um Dean Smith in his press conference, I think yesterday, said that his only fit striker at the club at the minute is uh, Jonathan Kaja. I mean, that is not good. Uh, Rumours abound of players coming into Villa Park. One of them, Danny Drinkwater, who today was sent back to Chelsea by Burnley. Uh, He hasn't really done anything at Burnley. He hasn't done anything in the last two seasons. So I'm not sure how much... He is going to bolster a midfield that obviously has the medium-term injury to John McGinn to cope with. Um, the Villains also lost their goalkeeper Tom Heaton at Turf Moor to an injury that rules him out indefinitely. Now, they have a lot of keepers that could possibly come in, uh, but still, he was the senior pro at the club and actually a really good keeper, so that's, that's a big blow. I mean, that three points at Turf Moor has come at some cost. Dean Smith will lean heavily on Christian Perslow, Formerly of Spurs and Liverpool, uh, who was the technical directors there. And, uh, of course, Wes Edens to help ease the strain on this stretch squad. But they're 17th, Andrew, and they're one point off the drop zone. And they've got all these injuries to deal with. Uh, I know they had a couple of good results in the Christmas mix. 
but I'm putting down Villa as one of the losers. Yeah, it's it's worrisome for them. I saw Sean Dyche actually talked about the Ben Me tackle because he didn't yeah. really think there was anything wrong with it, and then he even <sighs> cited Wesley's reaction as proof of that. The the quote from Dyche was he said, I think the player, Wesley, actually after it all calmed down, said, quote, this is football and this is the way it goes, and there were no questions of anything other and nor should there be. So Sean Dyche, maybe I, I guess we'll hear from Wesley at some point if that is in fact what he said or how he truly feels about. I mean, the it's, it's it's two footed. Uh, I, I Andrew, I, I you know I'm I'm looking at stills of it here now. I can't I can't find the video and I watched it in real time and slowed down. I mean, people are saying, well, he got the ball. Yeah, but he goes through the player. Not only did he not get a card, there wasn't even a foul given. And by the way, I guess in fairness to it, and please hold your comment, just let this be on its own, but like VAR did give it a look and ruled nothing as well. So I don't know. I guess stuff like this is sometimes just in the eye of the beholder. Everyone sees these plays a little bit differently, I suppose. No, I, I, I honestly think that this comes under a, under the rubric of a, a potential red or or at least a yellow. Oh, anyway, right. what do I know? Uh, all right. Uh, my number two festive period loser, uh, I went JJ with Paul Pogba, um, really because this was kind of supposed to be the time that we were targeting for when he made his comeback. He had been recovering from ankle surgery. Uh, it seemed like he was getting ready to go, uh, but then he had that illness that is now, I guess, like running just like rampaging through Manchester United. As I saw today, both Jesse Lingard and Anthony Martial had to leave training after just 15 minutes because they were dealing with some kind of illness. Uh, so that that illness for Pogba, uh, that delayed his return. Then he was able to make a couple of, I guess you'd say, somewhat promising substitution appearances against Watford and Newcastle. Um, but he re-aggravated his ankle, and now it's been announced that he's going to need another ankle operation, and he's going to be out for probably a month uh, I think Solskjaer said three to four weeks, but it seemed like Solskjaer was kind of trying to like almost downplay the severity. I don't know. In the end, we'll see if it winds up being more than that. Um, you know, it, and for Manchester United as a whole, it's particularly bad because remember, they're also without Scott McTominay for at least a couple more months, who's dealing with a, a knee ligament situation. So, I mean, look, people sometimes Pogba like becomes a bit of a joke in people's minds because of what they paid for him and because United just haven't gotten those returns for him. But let's let's like be honest about the situation. No McTominay, United fighting for a spot in the top four. They need him. Like they need this guy back. He is important. Uh maybe he's not as good as what was advertised when they got him, but he's still important. And, you know, I'm sure Solskjaer at some point was relying on him to be there and you just keep wondering like when when is that now gonna be? He says a month. I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah, that that kind of slides into my number two loser, which okay. is is in fact Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and particularly because you know they they had some results over over the Christmas, in particular the win at Newcastle where they just thumped them after going one 0 down. But they go into the game against Arsenal, and for me, Andrew, it was a good measuring stick, a good yardstick of where where the club has come since the start of the season or since the summer when Solskjaer was given the full-time contract. And you watch the game, I watched the full 90 minutes, and yes, there there was, you know, a little bit of fatigue, certainly on Arsenal's part in the second half, it, it, that came into it a little bit um, in terms of, I suppose, the Christmas uh, schedule, and also what Miguel Arteta is, is, is now asking Arsenal to do, and the changes in the game, but... <sighs> 
you would, if if you were an alien who'd landed in and, well, obviously an alien who was familiar with association football, but nevertheless, an alien with a, a grasp of the of the game, and you told the alien, well, one of those teams has had a manager in place for the past year and has been working on a plan and a style of play and a way of working the ball back to front and, you know, just an overall general way of playing. Mm-hmm. Who do you think it is? They would have picked Mikel Arteta. Andrew, it's just, I just don't see the progress in what Solskjaer is trying to do with this team. Apart from the implementation, and when I say implementation, basically giving their talented young players minutes. Outside of that, I don't see any progress whatsoever. And I guess that is borne out in their consistency. I mean, they haven't been able to put together three wins on on the bounce in the league or in any competition since uh, that purple period when Solskjaer was interim manager and basically did enough to get the job full time. It's just not happening right now. And it, the way I feel about it is Solskjaer will probably end up as a pretty important footnote in the next generation or the next uh, good Manchester United team because he's blooded a lot of youngsters. They're finding out a lot about the players that they have. But in terms of this current crew, he will not be the man to take the club forward. I, there, I don't care what Ed Woodward, if Ed Woodward believes in the project. I think it's very worrying now that Solskjaer will have control over transfers when you see, um, like I was watching Maguire, there was an amusing cut of Maguire on the ball, trying to pass the ball and progress the ball forward um, on, on Twitter. And okay, it was funny and uh, amusing music was added to it. But if you break it down, that's an $85 million center back playing so poorly in a game which now demands that the center halves are able to step into the midfield and pass the ball and get things going and that they're comfortable on the ball. Uh, You know, this is just not working. And I feel as if it can't work with Solskjaer and a decision will have to be made in the summer. And I don't think it's going to be good. Well, I mean, look, they're somewhat fortunate that they're in a, they're in the spot that a lot of teams are in. Like you're saying how bad they are. Well, they're, they're fifth right now. You know, they're ahead of Tottenham by a point. They're ahead of Wolves, who we like heap all yeah, this look, praise on. Yeah, it's like they're, yeah, they're Andrew, in the race for a top four spot. Andrew, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of dreck around them. Ah, come on. There's, yeah, yeah, we can, we can do that, but there's no, and, and, and that's fine. And you are right. But then you have no conversation if you do that. You have none whatsoever. Look at what our Ted, like you're talking about dreck, like Arsenal were 12th. And, you know, he's slowly but surely implementing something. I can see the patterns of play. I can see, for example, that they definitely are pressing harder. They're working back. They're trying to win the ball quicker in that Barcelona Pep Guardiola style. You know, you could see all those things. I could see nothing. This is a year's worth of Solskjaer. And there's stasis in the league. There certainly is. Look at Chelsea. I mean, two wins in five. They've had a really bad period. And they're still, what, third or fourth? They're fourth. fourth. They're fourth. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, yeah, there is that status that is making things much better for these clubs. But let's analyze development. Let's look at it over a period of time. And and the fruition of that period of time came against Arsenal, and they were just bad. Yeah. Uh, all right, my final one, my final loser here is Bournemouth. So they beat Chelsea on December 14th. Um, and then, oh, and then, 
They lost to Burnley. They had a draw with Arsenal. And then they lost to Brighton. Then they got absolutely smashed by West Ham. Um, now, this stretch has taken them all the way down into the relegation zone. They are now 18th, Bournemouth, 18th in the table. Um, and, and really, I'm going to identify, like with Southampton, we identified one promising element for them. I will identify one concerning, particularly concerning element for Bournemouth. Um, you know, like Southampton, we always talk about their inability to score goals. Well, with Bournemouth, it's typically their ability to score goals. Um, and the key man for that has always been under Eddie Howe, Callum Wilson, but he has just simply gone missing. This is now 14 games for him without a goal. You have to go all the way back to September for the last time Callum Wilson scored a goal uh, for club or country. Now, Eddie Howe, this is not lost on anyone, of course. Uh, Eddie Howe was asked about this, um, and he spoke about it. He said that with regards to Wilson, he's always been an incredibly hard worker, very much a team player, adds goals to that uh, the t- that in his team teamwork. He said, I think uh, it's been the same this season. Maybe he just needs a little bit of luck, and everything will start firing again. Uh, I get. I mean, look, if that's what you're leaning on, then that's that's – that's just worrisome for me. Um, that their talisman is just not—he's just not effective at all right now. Uh, and if they're going to get right, now's the time. It really has to happen now for them because their upcoming fixtures are Watford, Norwich, Brighton, Villa, Sheffield United, and Burnley. Um, so if they're going to get out of this funk, if they're going to get out of the relegation zone and uh, work their way back to a, being a mid-table side, uh, it's kind of now or never. Because uh, if if they play those matches and they're still where they're at. And then the, the fixture list starts to get tough again. Ugh, I worry. I worry for them. That ties in a little bit into my festive winners and losers. My final loser, Andrew, which is people who don't like relegation scraps involving multiple teams. Because <laughs> who are these people that you that you've identified? I've never heard of this. This is called shoehorning. Okay. <laughs> I mean, apart from Norwich, who are cut adrift a little bit. I mean, I say cut adrift. It's five points between them and Watford. Um, you look at that, Andrew. There is, let me just have a quick look here. There's basically nine points from Wolves in seventh place to Aston Villa in 17th. I mean, that's nothing. You can see so many teams. We talked about the mid-table mush. I mean, I don't even know how quite how to describe this at this point in the season. Um, there are teams like Sheffield United, Crystal Palace, who have had, you know, great starts to the season, great first halves, who could still potentially be sucked right into this. Mm-hmm. It's, it, look at West Ham, Burnley, Brighton, Newcastle, 25, 24 points. And there's Bournemouth in the relegation zone sat on 20 points. This is by no means, unless we see some kind of, change in the way things are unless we see someone amongst that kind of as we said mid-table mush really kind of pull themselves away I I guess the candidates for that would be uh, Sheffield United and Wolves and Tottenham obviously but like Chelsea are in fourth on 36 points I mean it's it's not a huge amount it's it's just it's really compacted right now and that's why I worry for, for teams like Aston Villa that's why it was important that David Moyes got that win against Bournemouth to get things really moving for West Ham. I mean, Brighton, who I think are actually playing good football, they've got players coming into form, like, over the Christmas, Johan Kabash had a, just a, oh, yeah. just a brilliant um, little period for him. Newcastle, we thought, had were doing okay, and now they're, they're slipping a little bit with those injuries. It's just, it's really compact, and right now, it's, uh, 
You know the way they say, well, it's any two from whatever. It's any two from a plethora. Yeah, uh, there's one club that I – you're talking about the mid-table mush. Um, Everton were certainly right in the thick of that, almost trending towards relegation. I kind of want to make them a little bit of an honorable mention for a winner. Um, because remember what we were thinking about them after that Liverpool yeah. loss, uh, after the 5-2 beatdown. You know, they bounced back. They beat Chelsea. Uh, they tied Manchester United. Um, they tied Arsenal. They beat Burnley. They beat Newcastle. And, and now they only just lost 2-1 to Manchester City on New Year's Day. So they have whatever, like, worry there was from some of their more, like, worrisome fans, uh, that they might be headed down. They've stabilized and, you know that that's not going to be the case, and I didn't really believe that that was ever going to be the case. And you know, we'll see how things go with Ancelotti if they will push on and kind of make that move that they always seem to make at some point where they get back to like I don't know tenth, ninth, eighth, somewhere in that window. I think that will happen over the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, I obviously I expect Arsenal to, as the proper football man would say, kick on. But um yeah, it's going to be interesting and it's going yeah. to be a fascinating second half to the season. Yeah. Maybe uh maybe only at one end, but we'll see. Yep. Uh there you go. Those are our winners and losers. Before I have a super incredibly quick what to watch for. It's an FA Cup weekend, but before that JJ, I want to tell you about something. Uh I want to tell you about something my friend because it's a new year. It's an important it's important that I note that that it's a new year. Uh, and you want to keep growing your team, but you need the right tools to help keep your hiring streamlined and efficient. That's where ZipRecruiter.com slash offside comes in. That's right. Here we go. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one. They spotlight the top candidates so you never miss a great match. And right now, here's the deal, everybody. Listeners to this podcast can try ZipRecruiter for free, for free, at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. Let me spell that for all of you that think there's an S on the end. There isn't. It's just O-F-F-S-I-D-E, offside ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Love the people at ZipRecruiter. They do fine work. They really do. Uh, here's your super quick what to watch for, JJ. Like I said, FA Cup. Uh, just quickly identifying some of the, uh, some of the more interesting matches, at least in my opinion here. Um, good luck to Port Vale as they will be taking on Manchester City. That is on Saturday. Uh, well, they've, they can at least learn from Oxford, um, who played City in the league? Yeah, cup the, and, these and are like for me. If you're talking about the third round of the FA Cup, those are the games that I'm more interested in. Like Wolves also play Manchester United, which is probably the best game of yeah. the of this round of the FA Cup. Uh, but like the City Port Vale, like those are the matches that make honestly that make this tournament fun. Like people say, oh, the FA Cup, it's out, it's outlived its usefulness. Well, not to me because like those are the fun games where you get you get those like March Madness one versus sixteen matchups, and like you want to kind of. One day, like, history is going to happen. Every year, crazy stuff does happen in this tournament. So you kind of, like, want to be watching when it, when it goes down next. Um, and then, uh, on Sunday, JJ, Darby County is in action against Crystal Palace. And why might that be interesting? Um, because Wayne Rooney made his debut and played quite well the other night in a 2-1 win over Bansley. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Wayne Rooney. Wearing the white and black of Derby County. 
Yeah, one of our listeners tweeted us today and he thought that Wayne Rooney was going to be player manager as if this was the 1980s. <laughs> I don't uh, think so. No, but like didn't wasn't that a thing though talked about at some point? No, uh, I mean Philippe Cocu was a much more you know experienced manager. He's the manager there, but what's happening with Rooney is he's getting like coaching experience alongside trying to help Derby to get promoted or well, or the, make, the BBC make a run for, for the promotion places. So I'm reading here. This was from the BBC. Where so whoever the listener was that sent that, I don't want them to made to be made to feel like they were some fool for saying it because it says here before moving uh, Rooney will finish his second season at DC United and MLS joining Derby on an 18 month contract as a player coach in January yeah. of 2020. Yeah, but not the player coach. No, he but, hasn't got it. But he hasn't it, got all his badges. Yeah, so there he, it is, he, though. Your subtle bullying uh, to a listener who no. was well within his rights to ask the question. No, he was, but he's not going to be like the guy making the decisions on the sideline. Although, considering what Kaku has done so far, maybe he should be. Well, maybe maybe that will happen. I mean, he's still like in the grand scheme of things, he's been around for forever. So, like, he doesn't feel like a young player, but he is not of like, he is not of retirement age. This he's, is a better he's, tweet. He's 34. From, this is a better tweet. Barney Rone was a, um, responding to his uh, to uh, Rooney's debut for Derby, and he wrote, Wayne Rooney is now six months and a losing playoff final away from becoming Manchester United manager. <laughs> because that's how it works now. Yeah. Yep. I suppose that's true. And he'll join the likes. It is weird, though, that like this era where Lampard and Gerrard and like if you see Rooney on a sideline, like, God, doesn't it make you just – we're getting old. Like that – we're just getting old. And and so are they. It's the passage of time, Andrew. You can't fight it as your belly is proving. Sunrise, sunset. Sunrise, sunset. Well, hey, this was fun, my friend. Uh, yes. I, I'm very pleased, finally, that the next time we do a podcast, we'll do it in person. Yeah, I mean – I guess so, if we can put all the rancor of the past few weeks behind us and just try and move forward into the new year. Look, I, I I love you, all right? And uh, I have nothing to hide. So if you're feeling rancor, um, well, that's that's on your side of the Atlantic. You know what we should do? We should go to see the film 1917 together. Oh. It's very much in our wheelhouse. Yeah. Um, we both uh, are interested in World War One and World War Two. Maybe that could bring us together. So you have not seen it yet? I have not seen it. Neither have I seen Uncut Gems. No, me neither. Which looks pretty amazing. A lot of There's a lot of good movies out right now. I worry I worry now for Uncut Gems that someone will try and do an English spin-off where Kevin Garnett is replaced by a retired player. I, I fear for that. Uncut Gems starring Jolien Lescott. <laughs> Oh, Lescott Garnett is not. We were talking about crossovers. Uh, it's not. I mean, look, Kevin Garnett's an all-time great. Like he's. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. Jolien was fine for a few seasons, but he's got that nice car. Like I could just see it in the movie. Like it, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Apparently, Sandler is brilliant. I've never yeah. been a Sandler guy. So oh wow! Be interesting. You're not down with the Abby Doobie, huh? I don't know what that is. It's like a he, thing that he. Abby Doobie. Adam say. Like that, that's like my go-to no. Adam Sandler. Oh, none of that. No, no, no. Uh, so you don't like my, Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore? Like my friends love when I was growing up, Adam Sandler films were like 
Happy Gilmore quoting from uh, what's the other one? Billy, Billy Madison. Madison. Yeah. Oh, that was like they were. That was staples, and I used to watch them. I think I've watched both of them once, and just thought, ugh, not for me. No, at, no, no. At age seven, you really thought you were better than everyone, didn't you? No, I wasn't seven. I mean, it was. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, even 15 people were finding him hilarious. They were watching Billy Madison, and you were watching Citizen Kane. <laughs> it's not even true. Uh, last night, I sat down, and guess what was on TV? I don't know. Well, I watched, I watched um, Bad Grandma the other night. Um, well, last night, I watched Welcome to the Rock with <laughs> Nicolas Cage. I will, watch, I will sit down and watch a Nick Cage film you know at the drop of the hat even though i know it's going to be a special kind of bad but this i watched the rock again and it's just you know i will watch you know i'm not a snob about it but i oh god sandler but anyway uncut gems is going to be uh me uh really enjoying a adam sandler vehicle for the first time i would imagine well there you go uh we we'll, yeah we'll have maybe we'll take that into maybe we'll do a double feature together who knows um, hey, this was fun, man. This was a lot of fun. I look forward to seeing you. I hope you have a safe trip back. I hope you enjoy the rest of your time in Ireland. To you, I say... Take you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 